Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are concluding a series that we've been in for the last six weeks called Prepare the Way, uh, where we have been looking at these core promises God made to our community through Isaiah 62, uh, all the way back in 2017, before we ever started gathering together as a church. And these promises come in the form of a prayer that the prophet Isaiah offers up on behalf of the people of Israel, uh, speaking to a time that would come after his death. He speaks of the people of Israel being released from captivity in Babylon after 70 years and coming back safely to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where uh, they would rest once again. However, uh, when God used this scripture to give us a, a blueprint for what he would do in our city and through our church, he allowed us to personalize these promises and to use it as a template to pray out in declaration what he not just did in the past, but he will do once again in our city and in our day. Uh, the main text we've been considering is in the 10th verse of the 62nd chapter where Isaiah says, go out through the gates Smooth out the road, prepare, or pull out the boulders, and prepare the way for my people to return. Uh, if you are joining us today for the first time, let me give you the Cliff Notes version of all we've discussed in the last six weeks, because I think it'll be helpful to frame in what we're going to land with uh, today. In the first week, we looked at that scripture, and we considered this promise of salvation that would come to our city. However, we reminded ourselves that our role in this coming salvation is to prepare the way, to remove the rocks from the road, and specifically the stone of shame that so many people trip over on their way into church, feeling shamed into change, which never works, but love can bring about true repentance and bring people into the family of God. Uh, in the second week, we talked about those new names that were mentioned in the baptism testimony, uh, names that God speaks over us as identity statements. And we reminded ourselves that our perceived identity plays a critical role in the way that we live our lives. In the third week, we talked about the promise of believers remaining safely in the house of God. No longer would San Francisco be a city that people come to only to lose their faith, but that they would be held safely within the house of God, never to be turned over to the enemy again. And we crossed over over some lines and said, we're not going to leave Jesus when the teachings get difficult. And then in the fourth week, Robin reminded us that we all have a wall to pray from. We're all intercessors in our own right. And we've been called to pray fervent prayers over our city until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. In the fifth week, we put a ring on it, became the bride, talked about committing ourselves to our city like a young man commits himself to his bride. And then last week, we appealed to all the Pentecostals in this church as we talked about flags and reminded ourselves that our God, Jehovah Nisi, stands as a banner over us, declaring that our enemy has already been defeated, that we fight from victory and not for it, and we are victorious in Christ. So if you missed any of those weeks, I want to encourage you, please go back and listen to them. And I know we say that a lot around here, but I really mean it this time, uh, because if this is the core set of promises God has made to our community, then I think it's important that as a family, we understand what he's said so that it can lead us to pray appropriately for the future. So please do get these in your heart, get these into your arsenal, get these into your prayer life, and begin to declare what God has said over this city and over your own life personally. Uh, today, as we conclude, we're gonna look at one last promise, and I intentionally saved this one till the last week because it's actually found in the same scripture that we started this series out with. I love kind of the poetic nature of concluding something. The book ends in the same place that you started it. So call me Brian McKnight. We're starting back at one today. And uh, one, you're like a dream come true. Two, only wanna be with you. 
Come on, if you're single, look to someone next to you right now and just say, no, I'm saying, okay, stop, stop. So we're gonna go back to the original text here. <laughs> I'm obsessed with hooking people up, all right? Just to be clear, if you haven't noticed that by now. Once again, Isaiah 62.10, as we look at this scripture one more time and consider this final promise. Isaiah, Isaiah says, go out through the gates, smooth out the road, pull out the boulders and prepare the way for my people to return. So we've talked about flags, we've talked about brides, we've talked about walls, we've talked about watchmen and crowns. Today we're talking about some gates. And in this final installment, let me offer you a title and then we'll pray. I wanna call this From One Gate to Another. Can you say that with me? From One Gate to Another. May not make sense yet, but I promise it will by the time we conclude. Let's, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Uh, Father, thank you for your church today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together under the great name of Jesus. And thank you that we can look at scriptures that were written to a specific people at a specific period of time, but they can come alive once again and speak to what you wanna do here and now in our day. Lord, I, I open up my heart. We open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you today. We thank you for these promises and we pray that we would personalize them, that we would see what you see over our city and God, we would walk into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. So in order for us to, to fully understand how to apply this promise, we kind of need to dig into this word, gates, that Isaiah tells us we are to go out through before we prepare the way to go back home. Uh, in the Hebrew, and I hate that I have someone from Israel here because now I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pronounce this correctly, but in the Hebrew, uh, this word for gates is the word sha'er. Yes? Okay, good. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Sha'er. And it, it appears some 375 times in the Old Testament. In my, book, my Bible, that's once every two and a half pages or so. So it's a very commonly used word throughout the scriptures. Uh, however, despite the commonality of its use, it, it, is, it is a word that is used to literally describe a gate, but also a word that is used to describe spiritual realities within the context of scripture. Uh, I've given you a visual example here of what these gates look like. Uh, this is the Jaffa Gate in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, this is an entry point to the Christian quarter in the old city, and it is one of seven gates that remains open in the city right now. Uh, in fact, it was a, uh, uh, one, one of the gates, the Eastern Gate is the only gate that remains closed to this day. It's on the other side of the Kidron Valley uh, from the Mount of Olives, and the reason that that gate remains closed is because it is believed by many that the Messiah will return from that side of the city, and only he can open up the eastern gate, according to the prophecy in Ezekiel 44. By the way, it is also known as the beautiful gate and the golden gate, so perhaps there's some prophetic nature to that. Now, uh, in biblical cities, these gates existed within the walls. Most of the, the important cities were fortified by stone walls that surrounded the perimeter of the cities to obviously keep it safe and to act as a point for the watchmen to look out into the distance and warn the city if there was any danger approaching. And so these gates were the only way people could enter into or exit from the city. And these gates were, remained watched by the gatekeepers uh, to ensure that only the right people got in and the wrong people stayed out. But again, the literal use of this word describes a literal gate, but it is also used throughout the scriptures to provide an image, a metaphor for a spiritual reality. For example, Psalm 100, uh, one we quote around here a lot, it says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
speaking about how we enter into the presence of God. Now, obviously, when you give God gratitude, you're not walking literally through a gate. There's no gate that you need to walk through in order to give God your, your thanksgiving. It is an image that scripture provides to us to show us how we get near to the presence of God. As we say around here so often, gratitude is the gateway to God's presence. David, again, in Psalm 24, uh, speaking of the walled nature of the human heart, he says, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the king of glory in, inviting us, the reader, to open up our hearts and, and receive all that God has for us. Again, Solomon, throughout the Proverbs, uses this word, sha'er, and he speaks to the, the, the voice of both wisdom and foolishness as personified in the female voice. And he says, they call out from the gates of the city to all of those who pass by. Again, these are not literal gates. It's imagery, it's a metaphor that the scripture uses to display for us a spiritual reality. And the same is true here in Isaiah 62. There is both a literal meaning to this text and a spiritual promise that we are intended to latch onto. In Isaiah 62, as he tells us to go out through the gates, he is of course speaking of some literal gates. The gates of Babylon that once held the people of Israel captive for 70 years as a result of their disobedience. And in order to walk into the freedom that God was providing, they needed to go out through those gates. However, because of the personal nature of this promise God has made to us, there also lies a, a spiritual application for this text. If I could put it simply in a concise form, I'd say it like this. When Isaiah tells us that we are to go out through the gates, he is reminding us of the spiritual reality that we have been set free. In the same way that the gates of a city were open to a people held in captivity and they were called to leave that place and enter into what God had for their future, so the proverbial gates of Babylon in your life have been destroyed. You are no longer held hostage by the enemy to your past, to sin, to failure, to shame, but those gates have been blown open wide so that you can walk into the freedom that God has made available through Christ. As we reminded ourselves of last weekend, Jehovah Nissi flies like a banner over your life. Your enemy has already been defeated. You fight from victory, not for victory. As our intercession lead Lars reminded me of last week, the enemy is a snake because he's been disarmed and defeated. He has no arms and no feet. So he's a snake that just crawls around on his belly. I'm like, that'll preach right there and I like it. But because he's been disarmed and defeated, you are no longer held hostage to who you used to be you are no longer held hostage or captive to the enemy any longer. You've been liberated. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. Babylon could not hold them and hell cannot hold you because Jesus came according to Isaiah 61 to set every captive free, to open every prison door, to declare that there is a new season coming upon your life and there is joy for mourning, beauty for ashes, gladness for a spirit of despair. There is freedom available to the believer to lay hold of. And this is the, the overwhelming narrative of the scriptures, the overwhelming promise of the scriptures that you don't live in captivity any longer and you have been set free. Yet, yet despite the consistency of this promise, it's a reality that seems to elude us, doesn't it? We can read about it, we can sing about it, we can preach about it. 
We can say, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. Hell thought it won, but many of us still feel bound. We still struggle with varying levels of bondage in our life. Freedom seems to be a promise that everybody wants to lay hold of, but feels incapable of doing so. And if we're not careful, we can allow this disparity between our desire for freedom and our experience to allow us to buy into a counterfeit version of freedom. I want to call it visitation rights. It's the life of the believer who occasionally visits freedom, but remains a resident of bondage, lives in that destructive cycle of sin, but only visits freedom from time to time. And because I love props and illustrations, let me show you what this looks like. Uh, Robin, will you please come to the stage? I, I was originally planning to do this with a volunteer, and then after playing it out in my head, I'm like, nah, that's not gonna work with a volunteer. This only works uh, with my wife. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's bring this over here real quick, and you'll see why momentarily. Just worship among yourselves while we set this up real quick. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and put this leash on real quick. <laughs> Typical Sunday. Got it? Now you see why. <laughs> she got crazy last service, so we're going to see how this goes today. So I have here a gate. And on this side of the gate is, is Babylon. The, the biblical archetype for bondage, sin, hell, the enemy's plan, it's all on this side of the gate. On this side, there's no freedom. On this side, there's addiction and shame and depression, hatred, wallowing in the failures of the past. That's where, where Babylon is. But on that side of the gate, there's the freedom that's available through the gospel. Joy for mourning, beauty for ashes, new life, new season, liberty, and from that side of the gate calls the voice of Isaiah 62. Come, go out through the gate. You don't have to stay where you're at any longer, but there's freedom available to you. The gates are open. You are free to move about the kingdom. And as believers, we hear this call and we long for what is being offered. So we step out. And we taste and see what freedom feels like. Maybe for a few days, we, we don't indulge that addiction. For a week, we don't feel that depression or that anxiety. For a month, we, we don't give in to that rage or that repetitive sin cycle. And we enjoy our stay out here in freedom. But eventually, seemingly inevitably, that that other side starts calling again. Babylon starts trying to drag us back through, through the gate that we, came, that we came through. Like a, like a dog whose owner feels as though they've wandered off too far, sin says, that's enough freedom for you as it jerks us back to the other side 
of the gay. And then we live here for another season until the next sermon or the next reading or the next song. And then we go back out and we enjoy a little bit of freedom again, but then eventually Babylon drags us back to where we came from. And we do this dance (laughs) back and forth and back and forth, longing to stay there. It's not that we don't go out, it's just that we don't know how to stay out. And so many Christians live here. They settle for this counterfeit version of freedom, thinking freedom means longer lengths of time in that stay before I have to eventually go back to the life from whence I came. But let me be clear today. That is not what Jesus is speaking of when he offers freedom. Jesus did not take the cross and endure its shame so that you could have a slightly longer leash or a lengthier stay in freedom. Now, according to Jesus, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Not for a few days, not for a week, not for a month, but once and for all. The good news of the gospel is not a better vacation in freedom. The good news of the gospel is there is residency in freedom where you can live once and for all. And if we have bought into anything other than that, then we forfeit what is rightfully ours according to the gospel. Which brings us to kind of the million dollar question. If freedom is on the table, how do I lay hold of that? I don't think anyone would be foolish enough to suggest they don't want it, but how do I lay hold of this freedom that is being offered? And it is at this point in my sermon preparation that I hit a bit of a wall because Isaiah doesn't really tell us that. He doesn't offer a practical solution. He tells us to go out through the gates, but he doesn't tell us how. And for the linear people like me that want practical application, show me, O Isaiah, how I can leave this place and never go back there again. And so I'm sitting in my office and I'm frustrated and I'm praying, which is not uncommon for a typical Wednesday or Thursday in sermon preparation. And as I'm sitting there, I sense the Holy Spirit asked me a question that led me to a scripture and ultimately to the title of this sermon. He said to me, yo, Biddle. That's how he talks to me. He said, what's up? (laughs) And he said, look again at that scripture. Let, let Let me ask you, where do you think the people went after they left the gates of Babylon? Surely their journey didn't end with their exit. Where where do you think I was taking them? And suddenly it hit me. There's another gate. So back to Babylon. God calls out from the other side of the gates, come through, come out. You no longer have to live in bondage any longer. And the people leave. But God did not just call them to the wilderness to exist after they were set free. He had a destination in mind. He was calling them not to the wilderness, but according to what Isaiah said, he was calling them to prepare the way to go back home to another gate. What do you think they walked through when they went back to the city of Jerusalem? 
They walked through another gate, the same gate that Nehemiah and the exiles prepared for them so that the people could return back home. They went from one gate to another, from bondage, from slavery, to 70 years of captivity, to freedom and peace and this new life that God had made available. They didn't exist in the wilderness. They went from one place to a new place. And as it was for them, so it is for us. There's another gate. God does not just call you out of a life of sin. He calls you into a life of freedom. Let me prove it. So, so Jesus, uh, one day, he heals this blind guy on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are ticked because you're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath, so they're running their mouth and getting angry with Jesus. And as they start questioning him, Jesus responds in typical fashion. He begins to use a parable, which is a fictional story to display a spiritual truth, in an effort to show them what's happening. And in this parable, Jesus begins to use a couple of characters. He uses a, a wolf to display the enemy. He uses sheep to display himself, uh, the people who follow him. And he, he uses himself as the good shepherd. And, and as he gets to this part of the story where he, he's talking about the wolf who wants to steal and kill and destroy the sheep, the wolf that wants to drag the sheep out from the fold of the good shepherd and back into the life of sin and hell from whence they came, he begins to offer a solution for all of those who would be numbered among his flock. He says, here's how you ensure you don't go back to where that wolf wants to take you. And look at the solution he offers in John chapter 10. He says, so Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Keep that on the screen for just a moment. So, so Isaiah says, come out, come out of your life of sin, come out of Babylon. You don't have to live in captivity any longer. And we come out. But then Jesus takes it a step further and he says, don't just leave, but come in through another gate, a greater gate for the sheep. Because if you come in through me, you'll be what? Come on, people. If you come in through me, you'll be saved. saved. Sozo, healed, delivered, restored, set free, kept safe within the flock. Translation, Jesus is saying, I'm not just calling you out of something. I'm calling you to someone. I'm calling you to myself. If all you do is stay focused on the past and in the flight mode of how do I stay out of that? How do I not go back? What do I need to sign up for? What class do I need to get into? If all you're doing is focusing in this direction, you will never be free. At best, you'll get a lengthier leash, a longer stay out here in the wilderness before you get drugged back into your old life. But if you want true freedom, if you wanna live in freedom every single day, then you can't just leave one place. You need to walk through the greater gate and his name is Jesus because only Jesus can set the captive free. And at the risk of being offensive or, or throwing a bunch of people under the same bus, I, I feel like I can say this with a sense of authority because I've seen it over and over and over again in the lives of people. I, I am convinced that the reason that so many believers never taste the full measure of freedom that's available to them is not because the grip of sin is so strong and not because the tactics of the enemy are so cunning. 
No, I'm convinced the reason that so many never taste full freedom is because they have a shallow relationship with Jesus. They have traded in true faith for a weekend hobby. Jesus is a crisis hotline that they run to in times of trouble, but he is not the aim and the pursuit of their day-to-day life. And if Jesus is nothing more than a crutch or a hobby or a place you attend on a weekend once a month, let me warn you in advance, you will never break out of that gate and you will never walk in the freedom that's available to you. Inconsistent faith can only produce inconsistent freedom. A vacation to find yourself a resident back here. But if you want the freedom that's available to you, it is a day after day after day after day journey of walking through the gate named Jesus that offers you all that your heart desires. And lest I be accused of being, using too many metaphors and props, let me be clear about what I mean when I say walking through the gate daily. It's a practical matter. Walking through the gate looks like reading your Bible every single day developing, cultivating a lifestyle of prayer, fasting for breakthrough, repenting when you fail, getting in a group with some other believers that are other sheep heading in the direction of that gate. Shoot, getting in through that gate might simply look like coming to church on a Sunday every single weekend. Not when it's convenient, not when brunch got canceled, not when you chose not to sleep in, but you're planting yourself in the house of God and saying, you know what? When the believers gather, I know the presence of God is there and where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I am prioritizing being in the house of God because I need the freedom that is found in the gathering. It's not complicated stuff. Uh, Last week I was was in the lobby before this service and uh, uh, I was, I don't know what I was doing, eating donuts or something, probably not, doesn't sound like me. Uh, But uh, I saw this guy come up through the, the steps there and I'd never seen him before and so I reached out my hand to shake his hand and I said, how long have you been coming to the church? I've learned not to ask at this point if somebody is new uh, because it seems like every time I ask that question, they're like, no, I've been here for five years or <laughs> we've met three times or I'm your mom. And I, okay, I get it, yeah. So, so, so I ask strategically, now you know. If I ask you, how long have you been coming? It's because poof, my brain is not working. But I'm like, how long have you coming to the church? And, and he looks at me, he's like, oh, I've only been coming for six weeks. And then he said, but let me tell you why I'm coming to the church. I said, okay. He said, so as a child, I was raised in church on the other side of the country. My mom was the president of a Christian organization and she drug me to all these different events. And I I was very churched in my younger days. But when I was old enough, I moved to California. And 22 years ago after I moved, I gave up on God, became an atheist, got heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol. And that has been my life for the last 22 years. I have been an addict for 22 years. They said, Tim, I've tried everything. I've tried all the programs, all the steps, you name it, I've tried it, and nothing seems to work. And then with tears in his eyes, he said, but six weeks ago, someone invited me to this church. And I walked into this church, and it seems for the first time in 22 years, something actually helped. And so I just keep coming back week after week. For 22 years, he stood on this side of the gate. Six weeks ago, he walked through that gate and he experienced true freedom. This is what freedom looks like. It is from one gate to another. And let me just tell you in advance, if you're here today and you are struggling 
to find freedom. If you're a believer in bondage, a Christian still in chains, I believe God wants to liberate you before we leave. I believe that freedom is a journey. I also believe that sometimes freedom can be instant. I've seen it time and time again. We're in a moment in the presence of God. Someone is delivered, someone is set free. I had a friend, I didn't tell this story at the last service, and this is for someone clearly because the Holy Spirit's bringing it to mind. I had a friend back at the church we came from who, when he got water baptized, had been a drug addict on the streets of San Francisco for decades, and he had kind of gotten cleaned up a little bit, but he still had this habit of smoking, and he's like, God, I don't want to smoke anymore. Would you take that away from me? And instantly, when he came out of those waters, he said, the desire to smoke left me once and for all, and I've never touched a cigarette again. So, so I believe in the instant nature of freedom. But I also understand that that's not everybody's story, and sometimes it's gonna look like just taking a journey every single day through this gate. And if you need freedom today, rest assured, there'll be an invitation at the conclusion of this service to walk through that gate. However, we cannot end the sermon here because this is not where Isaiah ended the message. While this scripture did start with a call to freedom, it ended with a call to action. And it's the same call to action we considered in the inaugural week of this series. And we will consider once again in the poetic nature of ending where we started. So one last time, let's look at this commissioning as the worship team comes and we prepare to close. But Isaiah said this, go out through those gates, then smooth out the road, pull out the boulders and prepare the way for my people to return. According to Isaiah, once we have gone out from this gate and we've experienced freedom, we now inherit the responsibility to prepare the way for other people who need to experience the same. Some preachers have said it like this. They've said, freed people, free people. And I like that line. I think it's cute and it probably preaches well. I have a problem with it though. It's not true. I can't free anybody. You can't free anybody. On your best day, when you've been living hecka holy, you, do, you possess no power to set any captive free. Only Jesus can set a captive free. But Jesus didn't excuse you from the table. He still stated you have a responsibility in the liberation of captives. He just worded it a little bit differently. He said it like this. Freely you have received, so freely you must give. Let me remind every single one of us today, there are still thousands and thousands and thousands of people caught behind the gates of hell that desperately need someone to remind them that freedom is available. They're longing to taste the freedom that we've experienced in Christ. They just don't know where to find it. They've searched high and low and everything that this world has to offer, but they've been left wanting. And they live on your streets and they work in your jobs and they attend your schools and they frequent your coffee shops. Some of them live in the walls of your houses. And yes, it has been rightly stated that if you were the only person on planet Earth, that Jesus still would have come and died on a cross and resurrected to give you life. He loved you that much. 
But newsflash, you are not the only person on this earth. There are billions of people that are still caught behind the gates of hell who desperately need a herald to call out from the other side, come through those gates. A way has been made for your freedom. You don't have to stay in captivity and chains any longer, but addiction and depression and hatred and all the stuff that's holding you hostage has been, has been moved aside so that you can walk into the freedom. They need someone to say it. And that someone is you. And it's me, it's us, it's those of us who have tasted of the freedom that Jesus has made available to us. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 10. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they be saved unless they believe? And how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them unless they are sent? You wanna know your job description? You've been sent. You've been saved so that you can be sent. Not so that you can sit on a Sunday in a seat in church and receive and receive and receive. But you've been saved so that you can stand on the other side of hell's gates declaring to every captive, come out of your bondage and taste of the freedom that has been made available to you in Christ. That's our job. And until every single person that Jesus has ordained for salvation is rescued from those gates, then we have a lot of work to do, my friends. We don't get to kick back and enjoy the, the salvation that's been offered to us. No, we've been called to get to work, to be those who partner with Jesus to build his kingdom here on planet Earth. Because let me remind you, the very place we started, God's not done with our city. There is still an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will be historic in nature in San Francisco. And until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch, until her reputation has been changed on an international scale and this city is no longer known for its wickedness and its crime and its perversion, but it's known for a move of God that is historic in nature. Until the bride has been bought back and the prodigals are back home, until the walls have been rebuilt, until the banner of the name of Jesus waves like a flag over our city, declaring that our enemy has been defeated and victory is ours, then we are not done yet. There is more to be done. And we will be those that prepare the way for every rescue to get them out of there and through this gate. Holy Spirit, would you would you commission us today in this? Would you remind us of why we're sitting in this room today? Why we have residency in this city? We rebuke every pathetic prophecy over this city that is declared it's judged and you're done with it. And we remind our souls today that there is yet a coming revival for the city of St. Francis. Bring to mind faces and names even now of those that need to be saved, that we need to contend for with fresh fervency. God, we pray over every name in this box written on a card. Those that have run from you, those who've never encountered you, may this be a house where people are liberated from the gates of hell 
and they come through the gate, the greater gate. Uh, as we conclude here, I just want to issue the invitation as I promised I would. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Tim, I, that leash thing, it's, it's very real to me. It is the life I feel I'm living right now. Maybe you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe not. But I just declare over you today, there's fresh freedom in Christ. Let the anointing that breaks the yoke be in the room today. Set captives free. May decades old addictions be dropped right now in Jesus' name. May broken mindsets and proclivities be surrendered right now and may there be freedom in the house. God, you, you don't wanna see your kids go back and forth and back and forth. Liberate every captive today as you promised you would do. And maybe for some in the room, um, the reason you haven't been able to lay hold of that freedom is because you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You haven't walked through that gate or maybe you did a long time ago, but you kind of settled back in the other one. I want to provide an opportunity right now to make a fresh commitment to following Jesus or to maybe follow him for the first time. The beauty of the gospel is that becoming a sheep is not difficult. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to clean up your life before you come to Christ. You just come as a messed up little lamb. And he takes you just as you are. And if that describes where you're at today, if you need to get things right with God before you leave this place, uh, I'm, I'm gonna pray a prayer with you in just a second. But before we do, no one's looking around. Would you just simply lift your hand and look up at me and say, that's me, Tim. I'm coming home to Jesus today. I'm tired of wandering around on my own. Yeah, I got both of you right there. Yeah, right on, bro. <laughs> yeah, I got you there, sis. Thank you. Yeah, right over here in the back. Yeah, right here in the second row. Yeah, right here, right there in the back. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Oh, hallelujah. All right. Here's what we're going to do. You guys know the drill. We're going to pray this out loud with all those making this decision so they don't feel alone. And then we're going to celebrate with all of heaven as we conclude this prayer. But just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple and walk in your ways. Forgive me of my sin and help me to stay within your gate. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, celebrate with all these making that decision this morning. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.